0: Welcome to the Nurture Small Business Podcast. I'm your host, Denise Kagan, president of the DCA Virtual Business Support. At DCA, we believe in small businesses and the families they support. Learn more at dcavirtual.com. Jeremy Stratton is the founder and chief executive officer at Business Legal Lifecycle. He is the author of the Amazon number one best-selling book, the business legal Life Cycle. Jeremy has appeared on various television shows, podcasts, radio interviews, and he also provides regular content for websites across Australia. Jeremy lives in Brisbane. He's a dad of two awesome kids. He loves to learn and help the kids achieve their goals. So welcome to the show, Jeremy. <laughs>
1: Thanks, Denise. Uh, looking forward to it.
0: So we had a delightful conversation just a moment ago about stickers. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprising you. I didn't prep you for this. Right. Uh, can You want to tell our audience? Because honestly, a, a lot of people are working from home these days.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, we have a system. I have an eight-year-old and a six-year-old, and we've had a system for the last probably two years or so, where uh, they if they get three stickers during the week. So, and they get stickers for just doing something. Like I I made the, the the joke that well, it's kind of a joke that if they if they're quiet while we record this podcast, they'll get a sticker. If they get three stickers by the Saturday, then they get $2. And what we do is we split any money that they get into uh, 50% goes into um, saving, 25% goes into a giving uh, uh, Money box, and twenty five percent goes into a spending money box. So teaching them some money habits, some good money habits about where their money goes, and also giving them uh, the ability to uh, save up for things that they want. And you know, they had um, we did a, a Christmas toy drive in one of my businesses, and they were able to spend about twenty Australian dollars um, on presents for that toy drive as, as as part of their giving. So it's a good little system that we've got going, and we're probably going to upgrade it to. They get an extra sticker for doing a chore. They get some extra money in the new year. But my wife and I am still working that one out.
0: That's a very creative. I I, I love it. And it's interesting because you're um, growing your own set of entrepreneurs right there. (laughs) You're instilling it very young and early. I really love that.
1: The the reason I did it it was because, not to go too deep into it, but um, the reason I did it was because no one ever taught me money when I was younger. My parents, you know, they weren't great with money and they just, you know, when I received money, just encouraged me to go and spend it. And I want my children to grow up with a better uh, lesson than what I learned. And it took me about 25 years to learn. So maybe even 30 years to learn that. So, yeah, I I want to give them that lesson early on.
0: So, interestingly enough, as you're talking about money and money, financial responsibility, Often business owners don't budget for legal. How do you, as you're talking to them and they're asking you questions, how do you prep them for that?
1: Yeah, so that really comes into the reason I created this concept of the business legal life cycle. And it's about being more proactive rather than reactive. So too often, law is a reactive area. People, they have a problem that arises and then they go and get legal advice. And what really frustrates me is around uh, that they could save lots of money if they had just solved the problem beforehand. And there were two cases that I had where people... One person lost a million dollars of other people's money um, because they didn't get legal advice. And another one lost $2 million, or almost lost, I should say, $2 million of their own money. They lost about half a million dollars. When I asked them why that they didn't get legal advice beforehand, because it would have solved the problem if they had, it was, oh, it cost too much. It was going to be too much to, to put in there. And so I changed the, the message from it being a cost to an investment and talk about you're investing your money in Solving the problems before they arise, you'll never actually see the physical money saving in your in your bank account, unfortunately. Uh, but what you will see is you'll, you'll have less stress. And and I and I tell the stories about what happens and what's happened to people who don't get legal advice, and change that story to make it it's it's an investment that you're making in your business rather than uh, a cost, which is what men- most people see it as.
0: And interestingly enough, business owners we 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 understand investment in marketing we understand investment in developing our leaders but we do and i'm in that same boat we do really struggle with looking at legal advice as an investment because it it hits the the liability line not the asset line <laughs>
1: Well, that's right. It's it's uh, it's it's saving you from the unknown unknowns. And that's what a lot of people don't realize. And so many business owners, you know, the, the million dollars and the two million dollars, they're extreme examples, but so many business owners are leaving tens of thousands of dollars on the on the table because they don't go and get legal advice early on. Or they don't understand the legal concepts, and so they they take that they take a step or they they do something that they think oh I'll just fix that later, but they don't realise what what that is costing them and what they could do to invest in that in, um in the beginning. And so it's something that I yeah I do a lot of podcasts, I do a, you know, write a lot of material, we share a lot of material, and it's something that I'm trying to get into the small business community that there is a better way of doing it. There's a better way that if you invest money early on, then you can really solve those problems before they arise.
0: And so your book, it covers these types of topics, right?
1: It does. So I originally wrote the book in Australia, where I'm from, uh, and uh, I've written, uh, I've partnered with a lawyer um, in the US to rewrite it into US law, and I've done the same in the UK, and just in the beginning of 2020, I was about to release a South African version of that, but something got in the way of that <laughs> called COVID-19, and I wasn't <laughs> able to travel. Um, so I have put that on hold until, until we're allowed to travel again. But I, I, I partner with a lawyer in the country to rewrite the book for the law. And the idea of the book is to give a very high level understanding to the business owner about what they need to do, why they need to do it to empower them to go to the, to to their lawyer or attorney, or, you know, they're really the same thing and talk about what they need to do and why they need to do it. And then, and then, um, you know, get that work done by the, by the lawyer or attorney when they go to them.
0: That's excellent. Cause I was actually going to ask you knowing that it was written in Australia if it applied to us law. So you have different versions. That's excellent.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So can you give me an example of when you mentioned, you know, business owners don't understand they're leaving thousands of dollars on the table. Give me an example of that.
1: I think probably the the most important one, I think, is when you're engaging with clients, actually having a proper agreement in place. Because what happens, and we call it the initial client's phase. It's phase three of the life cycle. And what happens is people, they start their business and they're really excited. I get it. I've started multiple businesses and you're really excited. You want to get in there and you want to start making money and you get a client. and because you, someone's willing to pay your money. It's super exciting. You just, you just do that, and you might do a handshake. You might agree on the phone in these days, or you know, do an elbow bump, <laughs> whatever it is. Yeah, uh, you, you agree to, to what you think the agreement is, and that's all great at the time, and that might be great for the first month, six months, year, maybe even five years. But people change, their goals change, that where they're going in life changes, and if you haven't documented what the agreement is, someone will have their opinion on, on what the agreement was. And the other side will have their agreement, and everyone will have a different understanding of what the agreement is. That because of the story they've told themselves, and that could cause lots of um, problems in the future because those circumstances change. So, I think for me, it's, that's probably the biggest one is not not documenting what an agreement is, not having even just an outline of what the agreement is. So then, it's you know, six months a year down the track, you're trying to enforce something that you know is is, is different to what. The other side thinks it is, and it ends up costing a lot of money uh, for business owners.
0: Does your book go into um, things like um, partnerships within the business? Um, let, let's talk a little bit about that because I know mm-hmm. I have a client, a former client of mine, um, had a wellness center and they had brought other practitioners in. My understanding is they were contractors, but some of them felt like they were partners. And it could have been partially the verbiage that they were using in marketing that made that confusion. But they, some of them, legitimately thought they were business partners, um, and and there were some legal ramifications that occurred there. Um, so talk to talk about that just a little bit. How can business owners protect themselves?
1: Yeah, and and that is a very common problem, unfortunately, and 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 it happens because again, people tell their own story about what the agreement is. Uh, so really, if, if that's occurring, you've really got to have a, the documentation in place to bring them on as contractors. Otherwise, they do feel like they're business partners. And that that could be because they want to own their own business. They want to, yeah, that, that their reasoning in their mind is that, that this is what they want to do, or, or they genuinely believe that's what um, each party says. And so what you need to do is, is have an agreement in place and actually set out the contractor agreement and, and set out that they are a contractor. And sometimes that might create an awkward conversation. Sometimes it means that they might walk away, but it saves problems down the track that are that, that going to cost you a lot more money if you don't document them early on. So I always said to everyone, document everything, have everything in writing, have an agreement in place, preferably written or vetted by a lawyer so that uh, it's it's legally binding. But that could very easily be solved by having a contractor agreement. Uh, and, and, and it actually sets out, the, you know the rules and the the differences between the two um, parties and what their responsibilities are and that whole problem solved and then everyone understands what's going on. So uh, unfortunately that is that is common uh, and that comes from a, a misunderstanding and, and and really a misalignment of, of goals and that's where documentation can really help just solve that problem really easily.
0: And so if say the same said business wants to truly bring on business partners, then it wouldn't be a contractor agreement. What would they need in place?
1: It, it depends. It's a great lawyer answer. it depends um, and And it depends on the type of business that they are. So are they uh, if they're a sole trader, then they have to do a partnership agreement if they're uh, so that because they're bringing in a partner. If they're an LLC or an S Corp or a C Corp or, or, or a different corporation, then different rules will apply and that they might buy shares and they might have what we call a shareholders agreement or, or something like that. But generally, that's where you need to get advice from your lawyer or attorney to make sure you've got the right agreement in place uh, to make sure that you're covering yourself. So, you know, it, it, it largely depends on the type of business and how the business is operated but either whatever way it is there needs to be an agreement that sets out those rules and needs to define what are the roles and responsibilities what are the the expectations that you have on on each other uh, and and what yeah you know, what does one party expect from the other and what does yeah you know, the other party expect from from the other as well so that uh you, everything's covered in in yeah you know, the normal course of business and what you would need, normally need to do and so there can be no disagreement going forward about what each party wants to do
0: and my understanding to those, I've been I've heard them called operating agreements, but it makes sense that they would be called other things depending upon how the business is formed. My understanding is that when they're well written, they also include what happens if that partner passes away, what happens if that partner decides to exit the business, you know. Yeah. Um
1: Yeah, they they're called different <laughs> things. And 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 um yeah, I've seen them called operating agreements, shareholders' agreements partnership agreements whatever the terminology is it should cover all those things uh, and yeah like you know when you talk about partners part, um, passing away you want to make sure that you know that's covered in the agreement so that if something happens you're not stuck in business with their with with their family um, <laughs> who are probably well who would already be dealing with the grief in a, in a lot of ways and will want to um you know Probably not want to be in the business and may have a, a completely different idea about where it's going. So, uh, yeah, you want to cover off on on all those eventualities. You want to cover off on if there's a dispute between you, what happens? Uh, yeah, I, I often call the the agreements a disagreement uh, because you <laughs> want to cover off on what happens if the parties disagree. Because most mm-hmm. people can agree on most things. You, you shouldn't be going into business with someone if you can't agree with them on things. <laughs> like That would be a, a disaster. But uh, you want to cover off on, okay, if we disagree to such an extent that we can't get along, what happens then and what's what's the out? Otherwise, uh, the only people who win are the lawyers uh, in, in going to court and spending thousands of dollars on, on disputes, which is just not worth it at the end of the day.
0: And I know you've written this book. Um, are, are you still actively practicing law
1: um look yes and no I, I i still own half of a law firm and okay. i do a little bit of work for some of my long-term clients uh but i don't i don't take on new clients anymore uh because i mainly focus on this business and i do a bit of consulting for a, a coaching company as well uh, and um when i say a bit of consulting I, <laughs> that's a, a full day a week uh but i don't i don't take on new clients i do work for ones that i've i've always done work for and that i enjoy working with
0: so tell me about some of the other common mistakes that you see small business owners making.
1: I think probably the two other main ones that, that I think are most important. Are, one, uh, trademarks and protecting intellectual property and actually doing it too early is actually a very common problem that, that you wouldn't think. And there's a lot of lawyers out there and it's actually good legal advice to say, protect your, your brand straight away. The problem is that people's businesses and their, and their goals change and so they end up spending thousands of dollars protecting a brand or, a, or an idea that they decide that they want, don't want to do later on. And I've had, I had plenty of people early in my career when I was working for another law firm that would spend thousands of dollars with us protecting their IP. And then a year later, they go, mm, actually, I'm going to we, change that. They want this. to rebrand. And they want to rebrand. And then they're spending another couple of thousand dollars. And it, it hit me that Whilst the legal advice to protect your brand early on is right, it's actually not practical business advice because it's very hard to stop someone from trading with their name unless you, yeah, if, if you opened up a McDonald's, you know, a, 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 a competitor to McDonald's and called it McDonald's or, you know, that, that um, Eddie Murphy movie um, coming to America where he, <laughs> uh, the, 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 the gentleman has the, the business, the McDowells with the big M, um, you know, Probably. unless you're, you're deliberately doing that it's very difficult for someone to stop you from trading your business. And so what I say is get your business operating, start your business, make sure that's what you want to do going forward. And if it is from the beginning, then awesome, protect your name. But your your real brand and what you're protecting isn't the name. No one really cares about your name. What they care about is you or the business that you've that you started. You know, Facebook could have been called 10,000 other things, right? Uh, and if you had started Facebook, you would never have built the business that, he, that Mark Zuckerberg built because it's really about the person. So build the business first and then look at, 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 at protecting the brand. And that can be a bit controversial for some people, uh, but I really see it as something that's important for people to understand that they don't need to protect it early on to, to have a good brand. So that's the first one. Uh, the second one is employees. So similar to bringing on clients. Uh, bringing on employees is phase four of the life cycle and uh, it's deliberately there because you have some clients and then, okay, if you want to grow and scale your business, you want to uh, bring on some employees. And again, people bring on employees, they do it, give a handshake or a fist pump or whatever and uh, or an email and they don't document what the actual uh, roles and responsibilities, what the rules are for that employee. And it's all good at the beginning. It's all fine and rosy at the beginning, but then people change. People's circumstances change. And if you don't have a proper employment agreement or a contractor agreement that we were talking about before, then people will make up their own rules. They'll make up their own definition of what they need to do. And so that's the other big one that I see where people get that wrong. And then a year, two years, three years down the track The employee might be doing something different to what uh, they expected, and it ends up costing a lot of money to get rid of them or to change their attitude, and it's very hard to change where people are once they entrench their minds. They're probably the two big ones.
0: Yeah, so that's interesting because I've heard in the past, and I don't recall where this information came from, to not have employee agreements uh, except for maybe salaried that have very specific jobs, but for general workforce to have the rules and regulations in your handbook primarily does oh, yeah, that suffice
1: yeah so that suffices so but you still need to have an agreement in with them about you know and talk about when you can terminate them i know that there's different rules in the us with the right to work states and uh the rules that over here in australia are actually i've, I've a lot more uh, strict of, of what employers can do, but yeah, you can have it in a manual, but you, they still need to agree to what's in the in the employee manual or the, the business manual. So they still need to have there still needs to be some sort of agreement that says these are your roles and responsibilities. These are your your um yeah, you, the terms when we can let you go or you can leave. And then, if you want those into a manual, they still need to agree to that manual. You know, like in our law firm, we didn't have an employee manual for the first probably three or four years, and uh, we realized that we needed one. And we had two employees at the time, so what we had to do was sit them down, read the manual, and get them to sign off that they actually agreed to everything in the manual. Because if they haven't signed off on it, then how do you know that they've one read it and two that they um, agree to to be yeah you know, comply with everything that's in there? So it's still an agreement in in the the Gotcha. Yeah.
0: okay so we do basically it's in our agreement and we do an overview of it in their onboarding and they sign you know an acknowledgement saying that they've received it etc okay. so um i hope I that that's good. sufficient
1: <laughs> it, it would be and I, and I would say too that you know it's the kind of thing that you want to make sure that they're reviewing uh not regularly but maybe every six months or every year or so that they've actually read through it because again so much goes on in our lives, you know, let alone what's gone on for the last couple of years in, in the world. So much so just generally life is busy and people forget things. And so mm-hmm. it's good to have them review it every now and then, but yeah, you know, at least every year, so that they know what is going on. And, and maybe that's an opportunity to adjust things. So the great thing about a manual and having a the rules set out in a manual is that you can adjust them and you can change the rules and you can, you know, but you can do that in consultation with the team to make sure that it's fit for what you want to do in your business.
0: So what are some of the biggest changes you've seen in that area from COVID?
1: From COVID? Uh, well, obviously the work from home uh, phenomenon. Um, yeah, I always had the view that I was I was fine with my team working from home. In fact, we had several people working from home already. Uh, and uh, one of the reasons we had that was because we had people that we trusted. Uh, but I've seen that being a big change is, is what the rules and regulations are around uh people working from home that's probably the, the biggest one and what, what yeah how someone's office home office needs to be set up you know I know my wife she's a lecturer at a, a local university and they actually have a rule that they're not allowed to work from their bed they have to work from a, t- a table and that's from a health and safety point of view um, and and so there's lots of rules like that that, that I think have, have come in and, and I think for a good good reasons so I think that 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 that's a good thing that those rules are coming in place because you know You and I are recording this podcast from different sides of the world. And isn't it awesome that we can do that? And that means that other people can work from, from all over the world. So those rules need to come in. Uh, so that's been a big one. And I think that that has really caused a big shift for a lot of the employers. In fact, I know it has. Uh, we ran out, when when the pandemic hit, we hit a, we ran a, a a webinar series, Calm is Contagious for our clients. And that was one of the questions that we got time and time again is how do we let them work from home? And that, that's been a huge shift and I think in a good way.
0: Yeah, um, my company's been remote for ten years, so <laughs> so COVID didn't change much. But I yep. will say we do have an on-camera policy, you know, mm. with uh, some basics about being properly attired, you know, mm-hmm. not eating in front of clients, making sure your camera's actually on and you're paying attention, that you're focusing towards the camera, and if you're taking notes or something, which legitimately could happen, that you're letting the client know that because they can't see what you're doing. They might look mm. like you're playing on your phone.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's right, and, and And those rules apply in person meetings too. One of my um, big bugbears is someone who's in a meeting and they pull out their phone in the middle of the meeting because they want to answer a text message or send an email or something. Yeah, so it's the same rule. I think they're the same rules and it just needs to be reinforced to people that, yeah, you might be at home, but, yeah, you're, you're on camera show up be present and i think the, and as and, and said so, you know as silly as it sounds that i don't know whether you you encountered that pre-pandemic times when we had meetings but people would come in and they'd pull out their phone and i'd just stop talking and i'd just wait for them to put their phone away and they'd ask what's wrong and i said well you know i want you to be present for this meeting <laughs> i need you to be present put that away let's 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 turn that off and and make sure that we're we're focused on what we're doing it so i think that those a lot of those rules do apply no matter what you're doing
0: yeah absolutely so um briefly let's touch on before we wrap up today mm. the the life cycle you mentioned cycle the um phase 4 yes. but i didn't actually ask you how many phases are there in the life cycle <laughs>
1: There's 13 phases. So, wow. uh, so I mentioned uh, phases three, which is initial clients, four, which is bringing on employees, and five, which is protecting intellectual property. Uh, and it's uh, people can go and, and we'll we'll talk about that in a moment about the website. Uh, people can have a look at it on the website, or they can get a copy of the book. And basically, it's set out in a way to build your business from a legal perspective. To a point where you can sell your business. So phase eleven is sale of business or listing it on the stock exchange, and the purpose behind it is to build all the chocks in place, yeah, and do all the proactive things that we talked about, um, you know, during the podcast. Uh, the proactive things that will help the business to be in a saleable position, because a lot of people don't realize this, but it's, and it's not not it's probably the worst kept secret in business. At some point, you will exit your business. That's inevitable. And the average of when someone decides that they want to exit their business from it, actually being ready to get the best price is two years. It's two years to be ready to sell your business. Oh, my goodness. So yeah, so, so we want to help people to, to put those, those foundations in place for their business so that when they do make that decision, we, we shorten that timeframe down. And so the, the life cycle is all about building up to, to phase 11, which is sell the business. Phase 12 is retirement. Phase 13 is insolvency winding up. Sometimes people get there before they sell their business. Uh, yeah, and but the idea is to, to go through a progression of what people need to do from a, from a legal perspective in their business. And Denise, I I, I modelled that on at the time I'd worked for over five thousand clients, and I, I worked out when clients did things well, when they did them poorly, and I put it together into that framework. And I've modelled that on other clients. I've, I've you know modelled that with with the, you know lawyers and attorneys in the states and in the UK and South Africa, and it goes across the board. These this, these are the steps that you need to do to really build a great business. And so that's that's how I developed it. And what, in a brief thing it is, um, uh, and if people want to know more, they can definitely um, you know, reach out and happy to, to provide more information.
0: That's um, incredible. I, I love that you not only deal with like how to start up and run your business, but you're also talking about exit strategies and planning for retirement. So you're covering the whole gamut.
1: That's right.
0: Yep. all right so you mentioned finding it on the website Tell us about that
1: So uh, we've done up a page as a thank you for having us on uh, on our website so if people go to uh, business legal lifecycle slash nurture small business uh, there'll be a page specifically for this podcast. Uh, one of the tools that we haven't talked about too much is uh, a test that we have on the website that uh, allows people to they answer about 31 questions takes about 10 minutes. And it identifies where you are in the life cycle of your business. It identifies what your legal risks are. And what it does is it gives you a report that you can take to your lawyer or attorney and say, this is what I need done. And if you don't have a lawyer or attorney, we actually have a referral program on the website. You can actually contact us and we'll put you in touch with a local lawyer or attorney to to do that work. And as a thank you for having us on. We do that for a 50% um, discount uh, um, for listeners and there's the instructions on how to do that. There's also loads of free content on our website, loads of information about that too. And we're just launching, we're, we're talking at the end of 2021, we're just launching an education course as well. So business owners who want to know more, want to go... Um, more in depth in their business can get, uh, can, can take our course where it actually takes you through the different phases and actually educates you on what you need to do in your business. And it's all online. People can do it in the, the comfort of their own homes. So, but but for, for the point of, uh, as a thank you for having me on this podcast, people go to slash nurture small business and we'll have um, all the resources there that they can have a look at okay. uh, to help them with their business.
0: Perfect. And I'll make sure that that, um, That link is in the show notes. Okay. Yep. Jeremy, thank you so much for your time today.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thank you for joining me for today's Nurture Small Business Podcast, where the focus is on business growth, technology, and people strategies to help your business thrive. At DCA Virtual Business Support, our focus is making your business operations run smooth so you can focus on growth. Reach out to me at denise at dcavirtual.com If you'd like to learn more,